Hello and welcome to episode 84 of the Terrible Book Club. I'm Chris and this is Paris. Hello. This time we read Still Life with Monkey by Catherine Weber. Um, this is an interesting find for me because I found it. Um, <laughs> which... <laughs> Oh, are you the book finder? Did someone pay yes. you to to find this book? Chris, and then, the and book then, finder. And then you were like, "Hey, there's the book," and they were like, "Oh, cool. I guess now we have to do something about it." And you were like, "Yeah, good luck," and you just walked yeah. away. We, yeah, I had to bring it here. Um, <laughs> Sorry, it's so, a bad, it's a bad callback to the last episode. If you haven't listened yeah. to it, anyway. I got this one a while back before, like going to a bookstore was like a life or death excursion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, where like we before we live in the Fallout world that we do now, I feel like I'm just like, you know, role playing my Fallout 4 character every time I step outside now. Um, uh, who I who just, ever think that video games would prepare us for the end, Chris? Yeah, once, once again, Hideo Kojima predicted everything. <laughs> yeah. We all laughed at him. Ha ha, your game about walking around and de- making deliveries in a life threatening situation. Ah, Hideo, what's up with. Oh, God, it's real life now. Oh, God. <laughs> Wait, I, I, what, what was that game called again? Death Stranding. Uh, Death Stranding. Oh God, that just came out too. <laughs> yeah, it was like a, it was like two months before the quarantine, where everyone was like, "This is an unrealistic situation." <laughs> I forgot it was. I forgot that it was like that recent. That's that's really fucking funny. Anyway, this isn't terrible uh, Hideo Kojima Club. It's terrible book club where I found Still Life with Monkey on a bookshelf in a small bookshop in the downtown crossing area of Boston. Wait, this was um, from a downtown crossing bookshop. Yeah. Um, it Which was a book, one? Uh, the name is slipping my mind right now. I, is it? Is it like the weird? Is it like the one that feels like it's like magical or haunted? Is that the one? No, it's the one with like with a third of its shelf space dedicated to military history. Oh, I don't know if that's the same one. Was there a cat? There might have been. Mm, okay, I don't <laughs> it's know. Small. There was a bunch of like, like I swear to God, like there was like you know three rows of shelves and one whole shelving area was military history which i found boring i'm not a military history guy sorry to all y'all world war ii and civil war buffs i'm just not i'm anyway it's it's what it's what every every movie must be about anyway continue in the in the back of the shop there was some fiction there and i was just kind of browsing through trying to look for something interesting for terrible book club this is why i was still doing my you know, out and about excursions looking for terrible books that yeah, no wasn't one it, might wasn't, have seen before. Wasn't it a great year to start that experiment? Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> anyway. Sorry. Um, most of the, you don't have to apologize. I'm mostly frustrated <laughs> with the year, not with you. No, I'm mostly apologizing to our listeners because all I can do is, all I can do is get through this with humor, people. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm real sorry, but you gotta laugh at the dumb shit. Yeah. Anyway, um, there was a bunch of random fiction, but this one caught my eye because of its silly title. Um, and then I read the back, and it's about, essentially, it, it promised to be a book about a paralyzed man bonding with a small helper monkey. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that sounds silly. Um, and then I opened the book to the first couple pages, and after reading those, which we'll get to momentarily, I was like, oh, yeah, this totally works for Terrible Book Club. This will t- <laughs> I think this is totally going to be a fun ride. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, before we explain what was on those first two pages, we should uh, talk a little bit about what we do on this book review show and then give content warnings. Um, so if this is your first time just stumbling in to the Terrible Book Club... Our doors wide open. 
Uh, we welcome you. First of all, wash your hands. Wash your hands. Don't fucking touch me. But we welcome <laughs> you anyway. We welcome you <laughs> at a seven foot distance because yes. I don't, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna guess that you can estimate what six feet is. So let's just yeah. say seven. One extra. Um, one extra. So. Uh, here at Terrible Club, we read books that we think will be bad, and we make these assumptions based on their title, cover, summary, or some combination of those three things. Uh, so we just do the opposite of what most normal people do. Like, typically, if you're going to read a book, you look for something you think you're going to like, but we do the exact opposite of that. We look for books that we think we will hate, and then we read them, and we discuss them. Uh, so that's, that's what you're in for. Um... Just, you know, we're not always right. Sometimes we're wrong and a book is great. And that's awesome. We love when that happens. Um, for content warnings for today's show, we have our usual barnyard language. So we swear a lot, use a lot of casual language. But today, got some got some special warnings. Um, yeah. So New this and book, interesting ones that certainly haven't shown up before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to be fair, this book is pretty like emotionally heavy. So uh, just be aware of that. Secondly... There is going to be the use of a lot of words uh, in this book that we're going to have to talk about that people of varying abilities might find offensive. Uh, specifically, there are several derogatory terms for people with paraplegia. Um, and although, they, although these words are, you, are uttered by the person who is paraplegic themselves, it could still be upsetting to people. So just to let you know. Um, we're going to you know do our best to make sure we do that in a respectful way but like there's just shit in this book we had to talk about so you know be prepared um otherwise we have discussions of car accidents sex paralysis pregnancy infidelity depression suicide and a, and just a just a just a quick touch of light bestiality right off the bat <laughs> just so a little, just a, just, a, just light though very small like uh, we'll get okay. Read the read the <laughs> okay, summary, Paris, so, and then I, we can just yeah. immediately get sweep that part under. Yeah, the Yeah, exactly. Okay, so here's here's the official summary for "Still Life with Monkey" by Catherine uh, Weber or Weber, however you want to say that. <clears throat> Duncan Wheeler is a successful architect who savors the quotidian pleasures in life until a car accident leaves him severely paralyzed and haunted by the death of his young assistant. Now, Duncan isn't sure what there is left to live for, when every day has become a broken series of unsuccessful gestures. Duncan and his wife, Laura, find themselves in conflict as Duncan's will to live falters. Laura grows desperate to help him. An art conservator who has her own relationship to the repair of broken things, Laura brings, uh, Laura brings home a highly trained helper monkey, a tufted capuchin named Audeline, to assist Duncan with basic tasks. Duncan and Laura fall for this sweet, comical, Nutella-gobbling little creature, and Duncan's life appears to become more tolerable, fuller, and funnier. Yet the question persists. Is it enough? Catherine Weber is a masterful observer of humanity, and still life with Monkey, full of tenderness and melancholy, explores the conflict between the will to live and the desire to die. So, um... Yeah, heavy yeah. stuff. Yeah, so yeah, this is this is gonna it's not probably not gonna be like a laugh a minute episode. I mean, there's some funny <laughs> yeah. shit to talk about, but like, like, you know, we're gonna gonna have to talk about some some shit that's uh, a little sad. So, all right, so so back to the first two pages of this book and ultimately why we chose to read it because we thought it was gonna be terrible. Um, Chris was like, "Hey, what do you think about this?" And he sends me the cover and the back of it. You know, he sends me a picture via text, and I'm like. I'm like, I don't know, it seems kind of dumb, but like, I don't know, a story about a guy that gets paralyzed and has a helper monkey doesn't seem, like, 
objectively terrible. And then Chris opens the book and sends me a shot of the first page. And I go, oh, yeah, fucking buy it. <laughs> so I'm just going to just going to read um, some of this and you'll see why. This is also the light bestiality part of the episode. Uh, yet another sentence I can't believe <laughs> I'm saying. Red just, light here if that's yeah, a thing that you don't yeah. want to hear about. Um, so... And again, it's like there isn't it's it's not really bestiality, but like we thought it was yeah. going to be because just, of this. Just read it. OK. <clears throat> Chris, please insert some sexy sax music here as I read this. OK. Thank well, you. you asked for it. <clears throat> her long fingers caressed his cheek for a moment as she traced her way down to his jaw, her cool touch just grazing the stubble of Duncan's five day beard. She studied his face, seeking his gaze. Chris, Come I can on, hear bro. you laughing. Come Shut on, up. Bro. Shut up. I can't keep it together because I can hear you snortling back okay. there. <clears throat> you know what? I'm going to take my earbuds out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I won't have the He met her eyes for an instant before looking away, strangely embarrassed by his inability to match the intensity of her insistent stare. Audeline smacked little air kisses as she reached up to touch his face again, and he was surprised by the gentle precision of her tiny fingernails, sorting through his whiskers as she investigated up the contour of his cheek from jaw to upper lip. She pressed two fingers to his lips, and he nearly kissed them, but he didn't. And then she contemplated her fingertips, sticking out her tongue daintily for the tiny flake of something she had found on his lip. She nibbled at it contentedly while continuing to stare up at him, making a sweet, soft, peeping sound. She repositioned her springy little body constantly, and now she shifted again, peering up at his chin, plucking with fascination at the bristles that speckled his face. They had been alone together for five minutes. Um, I'm gonna just skip some of the, like, a couple paragraphs. Um, oh, <laughs> there we go. Okay, next one. Resettling herself on his chest... Adeline began to unfasten the buttons of his cotton shirt, the tufty top of her head brushing under his chin while she dedicated herself to the apparently familiar task of unbuttoning. Top button. Done. Next button. Done. She breathed out a little sigh of concentration as she undid one more button. But now she was stymied by the padded chest strap of the harness that kept Duncan from flopping forward. She stroked the placket edge of his open shirt and then she touched his exposed chest. She slid her hand into the gap of his unbuttoned shirt and rummaged under the fabric very slowly, moving her hand tentatively, feeling for something, stroking his chest hair, now threading her fingers through it, and Duncan squeezed his eyes closed even more tightly shut as he felt himself moved inexplicably. Her careful, exquisite touch was disturbingly unlike the respectful and routine handling by the various people whose task it was to bathe him and dress him and manage his body. She rotated her fingertip in a tiny circle, gently centering on his left nipple, before moving on to twine her fingers in the surrounding hairs, searching the surface of his body, right there at the equator of his sensory level, delineating the edge of feeling and not feeling. How did she know to trace this line? She continued her tender exploration, mapping his skin with those careful little fingers. He was barely breathing, but he could feel his heart jumping under her hand. <laughs> All right. I don't know. Are your earbuds plug? Uh, are you, rather, are your earbuds in Paris again? Or oh, okay, you're back in my ear. <laughs> okay, okay, just checking there because I mean, it's not like it, <laughs> your tone of voice there was helping the situation too much. Because I'm profoundly that's, but uncomfortable. That's... <laughs> 
but, but that's what like, it sounded like yeah, in my head when I it read is, it. It, it. There's like, come on, bro, <laughs> with with the nipple tracing and like well, the the, the uh, chest hair and touching. how yeah and how he, you know he was responding to it. Um, y- yeah, man, oh, um, uh, you could have like, read that in a completely monotone voice, and I would have still been profoundly <laughs> uncomfortable. Yeah. So, all right. So we we read those couple paragraphs and we're like, oh yeah, this is gonna get fucking weird. And and there is FYI, there is like uh, evidence later in the book that that was like intentional uh, because there are two other mentions in the book where Laura, his Duncan's wife, um, talks about how much he liked her playing with his nipples and stroking his chest <laughs> on page one hundred six and one thirty two. So I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. damn, that really because at first like because at first I read it and then I was like, oh, maybe I'm just misunderstanding. But then but then I read those other passages and I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I mean, I guess Catherine here really went for like, you got to hook them right up front with with the monkey touching. and Yeah, like uh, just to just to really make sure my point is proven here. Um, touching on page 106. <clears throat> this is Laura, his wife, talking about touching him. Touching Duncan, no matter how lightly she stroked him, no matter how delicately she walked her hand across his upper torso with delicate, brushing fingertips, something he used to love so much it made him groan with pleasure. Uh, and then uh, Exhibit B uh, on 132. Laura pulled down the sheet and cotton blanket that covered him and touched his chest lightly, rotating her fingertip in a tiny circle, gently centering over his heart, moving outward. Tracing the cool surface of his body, skimming all five fingers of her hand across his ribcage and sternum the way he always loved, mapping the equator of his sensory level. Yeah, so. I rest my bestiality case I, Those are my receipts. You have received them. <laughs> so... Uh. Because of those first two pages in the book, despite that in those other two passages that you read coming later, but because of those first two pages, I was in this constant state of fear as I read the entire book. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. I was, I was like, waiting Whoa. to like turn the page to get to like the monkey hand job scene. <laughs> I know. We were both reading in terror. Like, and uh... I was like, okay, here it comes, right? Okay, Audeline's getting too close. She's getting too close. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, no, they've been alone for how many hours? Oh, fuck, it's going to be this chapter. <laughs> oh, no, the chapter starting with Laura being out and him talking about being alone with Adeline. Oh, no. Like, yeah. <laughs> really? I was like, maybe it's just all the terrible books that we've read in the past that have, like, given me that sort of PTSD about oh, bad we things have, we have Oh, we have TP, T, TB PTSD, for sure. <laughs> Ter- <laughs> terrible book PTSD, absolutely. Um, but that the good news is that the book doesn't dwell on that too much hey and there's no monkey hand jobs there's no yeah. sex with a monkey or anyone really uh it's sex is just kind of talked about passively but i don't think you ever i mean it's mentioned a couple we're sorry regular sex between two adult consenting yeah. humans yeah um <clears throat> but like yeah it's pretty light on that stuff so no monkey hand jobs we today we can mark ourselves safe from another bestiality <laughs> book um you know so Yet anyway another. so our first impression of this book was pretty awful, and that's why we chose it. But after we read it, our opinion is obviously slightly different. Um, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I loved this book, but it's I don't think it's objectively terrible. I'll say that right off the bat. Um, yeah, there's yeah. serviceable and good, even great writing sometimes. Yeah, yeah, here. totally. 
Um, and like some of the, there, so there are a lot of good things about this book. Um, I'll, I'll try to get a, get a, off of like some quick ones, just just so we have time to talk about the stuff, the other stuff that requires more um, depth. But um, in terms of like the technicality of the writing, yeah, I mean, I only caught a couple of typos, and all, and the and the typos only took the form of missing words in very long sentences, and it only happened a couple of times. It wasn't really egregious, so you know, whatever, that's fine. Handful of typos is totally normal. Um, it seemed to have been edited professionally. Um, you know, the the flow of the story made sense. Uh, didn't really, I didn't really have any issues with the descriptive writing or anything. I thought it was pretty good overall. Um, yeah. So that like the technicality of the writing, the way this, you know, the, the general comprehension of the text went well, I would say. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So that, that was like an easy thing to cover. So nothing, uh, this isn't like, um, one of those crazy self-published screenplays we read, you know, last <laughs> year or anything like that. The multiple crazy self-published screenplays we read. <laughs> god you're right oh fuck in which no editing even occurred even in the form of the writer sitting back after writing one sentence and going like maybe i should retry that one no <laughs> yeah. just full steam ahead get the ideas out yeah stream of consciousness writing um direct but- to kindle as fast as humanly possible yeah actually it's it's just live published as you're typing <laughs> yeah. there's no there's no checkpoint in this process <laughs> Um, so I also feel, well, I guess this is, um, something that struck me was that I never once felt that the writer was, uh, pandering to people who are also in wheelchairs or paraplegic or something. Uh, I feel like the way that she writes about wheelchair users and people with paraplegia, you know, it seems totally genuine and and not sanitized um it i don't know i'm i'm wondering if she must have had like a sensitivity editor or maybe Weber herself has experience with these feelings or like th- through a loved one perhaps because it came across as um yeah pretty accurate i mean again like it's it's a little tough for me to make that statement of course because i'm like a pretty averagely abled person um but it yeah it's it felt pretty real like and it wasn't um it really struck that that perfect line where you have um yeah i god I, I hate to keep using the same fucking word i need to get bust out of the source but it felt yeah like i said genuine without being sanitized and what i mean by that is um it it's pretty uh open about you know talking about how Gordon is like, oh, I have to fucking wear a diaper and like this, you know, I have to have people put their fingers up my ass and all this stuff for, yeah. you know, for like general, just the general. realities of yeah, dealing and, with that situation. Yeah. And I appreciated that. Um, and I really appreciated that the, um, she didn't write Duncan as like a saint. I feel like a lot of people do that with, uh, characters in fiction in where, or even nonfiction, um, where they build someone up with someone who is somehow, I don't know, not average. Either they have, you know, either they're a wheelchair user or they're blind or whatever. And people build them up to be like saints or something, which I think is just the total other wrong end of the spectrum, right? Like, you don't want to talk about people like they're, 
you know, you don't want to infantilize people and you also don't want to put people on a pedestal for something that it doesn't make sense to do so for. So, yeah, I just think she really struck the right balance with that stuff and it came across, um, yeah, really, really well. So that was cool. I, I mean, Chris, I feel like you're a little more um, qualified to speak on this. Uh, sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you said before, a blind person being like really great at something or like especially morally upright is a cliche in a lot of media out there. Uh, do you um, want to do you want to recap like uh, your stuff just because people don't always know? Sure. Yeah. No. If if you've been a listener for a while, you probably have figured out by now that I have uh, vision issues. Where essentially, um, I'm considered legally blind because of a sort of a rare genetic disorder that causes uh, my eyes essentially the cone cells in them let in too much light. Um, it's it, it think of your cone cells as doors that shut when a certain amount of light is let in so that you can see things sharply and sort of clearly, especially from a distance. So I usually, I mean, if you saw me walking around, you wouldn't think I was blind at all whatsoever, unless you saw me trying to read something, because then I have to bring it super close to my face. Or if you see me just out in the sunlight, uh, really almost feeling my way around because the sun can literally blind me. Um, frequently when I'm out with someone, I, I literally have to like grab a hold of their jacket or take their arm or something. If it's especially bright out, even when I'm wearing sunglasses or I'm, I'm probably one of the few people out there that has to wear transitions lenses. I hate how they look. It's super dorky and everyone makes the transitions are for dorks joke. And I kind of agree, but I, I just gotta like, no, they're I, not for dorks. I know plenty of people that have transitions. They look, they're the butt of many jokes. Anyway. Um, so I kind of live half in, half out of the sort of disabled world, I think, where I pass, quote unquote, pretty easily. But then there's some things like having to be driven around a lot of places because I can't drive a car because I it mostly affects me in that um, I can't see things at a distance super well. So I can I know what people you know, I can identify people by face, but you have to be like three feet, four feet away from me. Or I have have to like have known you long enough that I know your general shape and walk and like sounds you make when you're approaching and stuff like that. If I'm trying to read a sign, it's got to be like huge text or really close to me, that kind of a thing. So it's like a loss of detail vision for the most part. Yeah, like I think sensitivity to sunlight. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut in too early there. I thought, sorry, I thought your sentence was going to end. I think the best example I always give is like, People don't really get it when I try to explain it. You just did a great job, of course. But I always give the example of like, hey, you know how when you're in line at a, you know, at like a takeaway counter, like at, I don't know, Chipotle or something, and you look up to read the menu? Yeah, Chris can't do that. Yeah. (laughs) And people are like, oh, does he have to be really close? I was like, no, he can't. He needs a printed menu. (laughs) Like, no, it's not happening. You, You have to give me a printed menu or you have to have someone stand there and read out the options to me, which... Most of my friends and relatives, they're A-OK with doing, but I don't like to force people to do it. So please have printed menus. It really helps. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't. I can't believe all the times we've gone somewhere and they haven't had that. I'm like, what the fuck? It's like a basic ass thing anyway. Yeah, um, but that's sort of my background with like dealing with uh, disability in a way. So I, I am a little bit more sensitive to how things are presented for s- certain disabilities. I can't obviously relate to something like this because beside from my eyes i'm fully able to move my body around with no issues whatsoever there the rest of me is pretty healthy as far as i know 
So, um, but, but I think I, I like, sorry, you were about to talk about the trope of blind people in fiction and sometimes nonfiction always being like morally upright and magical or whatever. Yeah. That's kind of how I, that's my window into relating to similar things where a lot of the times, you know, blind people are portrayed as like, oh, they're masterful in other ways, like the blind musician or the blind monk or like, you know, oh, they can hear so great that they have the blind ninja. Yeah. The blind ninja, all, yeah. all this stuff. Or like even, you know, disabled people just generally being like, like said before, saints, uh, people that are, you know, always great and per or, you know, because of their disability, they learned how to be extra good and they're the most selfless. It's like, it's just, oh, we're just, we're like everyone else, except we can't fucking see. Like sometimes <laughs> yeah. that manifests in us being real jerks. I'm a jerk to people too. Still, I'm I'm not like less of a jerk because of being blind or or anything like that. It's there's slightly different things in that I'm more empathetic towards certain things. I think because of my disability, but that could have happened regardless of it. Um, and so when I see disabled people portrayed in that way, like as especially oh wow they're so because he can't move he must be have to have like great morals and not be a jerk to everyone no there's plenty of people that can't move and are jerks <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's possible yeah yeah definitely. and duncan in this book he's not really one or the other he's a dude that is paralyzed he's sometimes he thinks real shitty thoughts about people and you go damn what a jerk and then other times you realize he just you know wants what's best for the people around him or the best that he can provide for the people around him and he's somewhere in the middle, like yeah. most of us. Yeah, yeah. I so that was yeah. It was it was nice to see that. Um, but I guess, I guess we should probably just give a quick summary of the important things in the book before we kind of launch into our critique of the rest of it. Um. So essentially, we begin with you know that horribly uh, <laughs> stress-inducing <laughs> scene there. Yeah. Um. So we're not even like the book doesn't start with. Duncan's accident, even though that's put, you know, it's revealed fairly early in the book. So I think that might be a good place to start, honestly, mm. in where um, Duncan is uh, part of an architecture firm. He's like a partner at an architecture firm. He's one of their uh, top designers, even though he doesn't necessarily feel fulfilled by it because he's basically doing the designs of someone else in a style that he doesn't he isn't really passionate about, you could say. But he does good work and he makes the firm money. And so he's stuck with doing their, you know, variations on sort of the head owner of the firm. I think it's Billy that's the owner of the whole thing, right? Yeah. So <laughs> funny story about that one. Yeah. So uh, the guy that owns uh, the architecture firm, it's the Billy Corrigan <laughs> architecture firm. And the whole time I was reading the book, I was I just thought Billy Corrigan from the Smashing Pumpkins. <laughs> in his and, and I also was having, I was also thinking the same thing and neither of us knew the other and had that thought. <laughs> and I, I wrote it in my notes and Chris was like, oh my God, me too. It was always <laughs> Billy Corrigan. I was like, you can't change my mind. And then yeah, I just imagine him coming back from tour to his architecture firm designing houses or something. Yeah, there's any boring Despite ass houses for all rich my people. rage. I'm still drawing houses on a page. Oh, uh, oh, see, my joke, my joke. Well, I guess I don't know if my joke works because we haven't talked about the melon yet. <laughs> no, um, you can do it. So, a melon. We'll we'll explain in a moment. A melon uh, is relevant to this story. Yes, there is a relevant melon, <laughs> and so the whole time I just kept laughing to myself. Like once the melon came up in the book, I I just, I just kept chuckling to myself and going. <laughs> the melon monkey and the infinite sadness <laughs> like i just 
Because, boy, is there some infinite sadness in this book. Oh, fuck yeah. This book is made of infinite sadness. Anywho, <laughs> Duncan's a, part, a partner at this firm, and um, he's out one day with sort of a, an apprentice architect, I guess you could uh, say. Yeah, his assistant, yeah. Like, yeah. A junior like, partner. Yeah, yeah, a junior partner. Um, It's Tim, right? Tim or Tom? To- Todd. Todd. I'll All never right. forget fucking Todd. Anyway, go ahead. I read this book like a month and a half ago. Um, anyway, <laughs> Tim Todd over here. He's out with um, Duncan. They're like they're going to visit a site for one of their upcoming projects, and they're just having a drive together, getting some food out on the pier, and they're driving back, and then a wasp flies in the car. Or no, no, yeah, a wasp flies in the no, car. No, and- no, he got he got stung before the drive oh, yeah, when they got, were okay. on the when they were on the boat coming back from the yeah. island. Yeah, a wasp stings Duncan on the back of the neck, and then later on, when him and Todd are driving in his car, he loses consciousness and crashes, and he kills Todd in the process, and he becomes paralyzed after that, which thus leads us to the rest of our story here. Um, interesting thing about the scenes with Todd there. Um, that kind of gets, you know, it's... Oh, do we want to talk about that now, or do we want to give the summary and then... Um, I guess we can keep going with the summary then, because, yeah, there's an interesting tidbit about the, the, yeah, the yeah. scenes with Todd here. Um, sorry, for the, keep going. For the rest uh, of the book, essentially, then we deal with Duncan um, awaking at the hospital. That kind of happens much later. Like, that happens later chronologically in the book, but in terms of story chronology... He wakes up at the hospital, has to deal with, you know, reporting the accident to um, a police investigator who comes by to ask about it. And then he has to like he gets discharged from the hospital and he's very depressed and sad. And his wife, Laura, decides to um, enlist the help of a organization that trains helper monkeys to help people in with conditions like Duncan's. And that's where Audeline the monkey is brought in, even though the book starts with Audeline coming in, you could say um, that it's sort of midway through Duncan's process. Um, and as like the back of the book says, there's, you know, some fun adventures with Audeline. Like he, you know, introduces the, the monkey to some neighborhood kids who are very interested in it because, hey, there's a monkey running around over here. Of course, some kids are going to be interested in it. Um, and then he tries to teach Audeline various behaviors and gets to know her more. Um, and a lot of the middle part of the book is just like Duncan and ultimately Duncan and Laura dwelling on their situation with Audeline offering sort of various moments of excitement or like comic relief sometimes you could say. Yeah. And then you also, you also get some, um, you get some passages in the voice of Gordon, uh, Duncan's twin brother. Um, or Gordy, as he's called. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but it's mostly Duncan, Laura, a little bit of Gordy, and that's kind of it. I don't think we get passages from anybody else. No, they're kind of the main three points of view. And Gordy, as he's referred to, comes in, basically, he's sort of just trying to help Duncan, for the most part. Like, that's his role in the story a lot of the time. He has a couple other roles, you could say, in sort of like a thematic way or like a comparison point against Duncan you could say but he's just one of the only other characters that's usually popping around and then you have your various personal care workers that uh help Duncan from for his day-to-day and he has like six or seven of them I believe coming in on different days to assist him with things because 
Duncan and Laura are, are super well off. They're, they, you know, he was an architect. Laura works as sort of at, at various museums as like a artifact appraiser. No, she's say. a she's an art conservator at uh, one particular institution. But they do sometimes get things to fix from various other museums or um, collections. It That's also mentions normal. her like earlier career work as like. Uh, also, yeah, art conservator is, I guess, the best way to put it. Um, and so, yeah, the two of them are really well off. They're th- thoroughly middle class. They um, live in, like, they live in Connecticut, you know. Yeah, big indicator there. If you live in Connecticut, yeah. you're probably either really poor or really rich. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they have enough money to pay for these personal care assistants without blinking that much. They're not worried about providing for Duncan at this point. It's just kind of Duncan having to deal with his condition that is sort of the crux of the story. And Laura yeah. also dealing with her husband being in this condition. Yeah, and like uh, right after the accident, once Duncan is able to kind of, um, I don't know, come back to the world of lucidity uh, in reality, he immediately is like, I don't want to live anymore. And Laura is like, oh, come on. It'll be, it'll still be great. And he's like, no, I really want to die. This sucks. And everyone around him just kind of is like, Nah, dude, you know, there's ways to deal with being para- paraplegic. And, you know, they even send in, like, a a paraplegic uh, therapist, you know. And basically he tells everyone, all right, I'll give it six months. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that that's how it goes. Um, like, I'll give it the honest college try here. Yep. And so, yeah, the whole book is just dealing with Duncan no longer wanting to be alive. And everyone else around him wanting him to be alive and the struggle that that causes. Um, yeah, it's a it's a sad book, man. It it yeah. it's it really hits hard on that front, and I think that's part of the reason the writing could be considered effective in a lot of ways is because boy was like it's not tough to get through this book because it's like just boring or horrible to read like a lot of the other books we read on this podcast. It's tough to get through because boy does it make you feel locked in like Duncan is. Yeah, I gotta say um, another thing I really loved about the writing was that the inner monologue pieces um, and the dialogue were very well written and convincing. And I, I remember reading part, some of the parts in the beginning and like chuckling to myself when Duncan is just like, I don't know, looking out the window at his neighborhood and lashing out at people in his in his mind. It, I don't know. One of the passages I remember is when he's looking out the window and he sees his neighbor across the way. And he starts thinking to himself about how shitty the neighbor is for breaking up with his wife and marrying this stupid teenage tart or however he puts it. And it was just, I don't know, just the way that it was written. I was like, damn, I've thought some of these things in my own head. This is great. In this book, people talk and think like people and it was refreshing as hell. Um, Yeah, yeah, we all have our shitty thoughts and, you know, when, when we're especially in a bad mood or something like that and... You know, being in Duncan situations would probably put you in a, the, one of the worst moods for a long time. And, of course, you're going to have thoughts like that. Of, of, of course. Yeah, and and tie, so tied into that that compliment about the writing of the dialogue and, and the inner thoughts of the characters, I um, I really loved the way that <clears throat> Weber, um, she doesn't force details about the characters or their lives onto you. Like, you don't have this narrator just yelling details at you, and you also don't have people talking, like, 
fucking robots where they're like, yes, I am Duncan Wheeler. I live at 326 Marlboro Drive in wherever the fuck rich people Connecticut. You know, it's, <laughs> and, and I am... Wherever rich people fuck Connecticut. Yeah, yeah, wherever, wherever rich people get it on. Um, You know, I am Jewish. I have a wife. No, it's, you learn details about people... They, as they are, as, I don't mean to interrupt you, but you were what? basically starting to like do the intro of some anime, like because that's how a lot of them start is like very robotically. Set. Now I'm imagining the anime version. Of this book. Oh, oh God, um, just the depressing anime. Oh, this is a, yeah, this is a, this is like Grave of the Fireflies level depressing anime. Um, yeah. So, I, I what I was saying is I love that details and characteristics of each character are revealed naturally through the thoughts and dialogue and they're not crammed down your throat and it's just it's just really so uh as an example you learn way late in the book like pretty far in that uh duncan's family was technically jewish uh but you know it was just kind of like a cultural culturally jewish they weren't duncan's not religious right um and you learn that because he's talking about his experience in the in the hospital and how they sent a rabbi to him when he had regained consciousness yeah and he talks about like yeah he he talks about like how silly it was and so you learn about that through that you know you learn that oh well it said i was jewish on my intake papers just because you know it was like written on my i don't know I, i forget if he said like birth certificate or something i don't know but you know and you learn about it through this you know this like little anecdote about the absurdity of waking up to a rabbi when you're not actually a person of faith um and and yeah and so instead of just being like yeah duncan's duncan's dad was jewish but they didn't practice like it came about through a story and i just really liked i liked the way that we were fed details um as little breadcrumbs tasty little crumbs and and related to that is kind of going back to that little tidbit about todd um, that we mentioned earlier. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's a, a breadcrumb you, trail. Yeah, that goes you, somewhere. You, you could have been beaten <laughs> over the head with this, and it's kind of left up to, you know, your interpretation of things. But, um, there, you know, especially with how Duncan thinks about Laura, too, a lot of the time in his monologues and at towards the end of the book, um, which I won't reveal that what yeah. his thoughts in the end of the book quite <laughs> yet. But um, so when Todd and Duncan are out doing this sort of sight, uh, overview. Um, he has a thought when Todd is talking about going on a date with someone else. No, at... no, no. Oh, yeah. Was yeah. Was it a date or was it India? It, or was it both? It was both. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was both his trip to India, but mostly he also talks about going on like a, a basically a date. He doesn't. Todd doesn't really call it a date, but come on, he goes out with a younger lady at the firm as well. And then Duncan just has this thought about how ragingly jealous he is for just one one sentence. Yeah, he's just he's just like, oh, I got real jealous at that, and you're just like, oh. But I think I think the first the first indication that you get that Duncan is at minimally bisexual, if not gay, is when they're talking about the wasp sting and the yeah. accident. Yeah, and he start the chapter starts. So all the chapters start with the first sentence of or phrase of the chapter. Um, I really should have like as the title of the chapter, not yeah. just like as naturally chapters start with, of course, the first sentence. <laughs> yeah, of the sorry, it's sorry, the title of the chapter that is a repeat of the first sentence. Of the <laughs> thank you, Chris, for explaining that better. <laughs> um, so chapter two, so pretty early in the book, chapter two is called Todd Walker's Gentle Touch on Duncan's Neck. Yeah, and so you're immediately like, oh damn, and um, and then you get. 
the full sentence, which is Todd Walker's gentle touch on Duncan's neck was a startling and soothing blip of kindness against the hateful burn of the hornet sting just above his Adam's apple. And that's it. That's all you get about his that like that one sentence is your only crumb for a few pages. Um, and yeah. then it, and then you go you go chapters and chapters and chapters. And it's not like. It's not like Duncan's like, oh man, I really wish I could whack off to gay porn. Like that's it's never yeah. <laughs> that it's never at all that obvious. And I really liked how subtle it was. Yeah, and so uh, again, there's a chance that he's not, and this is just I don't know. He's like really into just the gentle touch of he's comfortable with his sexuality enough where he can acknowledge the gentle touch of another or, man. Or you know maybe he's just focusing on how nice it is for a human to touch him and not a fucking hornet. You know, yeah. I, it it's... could be any of those things. And that's why it's good writing is because a lot of the time, especially if someone is in like maybe a little bit of denial over that, they're not going to think outright up front. I am gay. Oh, wait, no, I am not. Better not think that they, they're just going to <laughs> deal with like a light spat of jealousy when your yeah. hot assistant talks about his date with someone else. Fucking Todd, man. Can yeah. we just talk about... All right. I yeah, let's have a to... moment to talk about Todd who sucks, actually. Yeah, dude, I was... All right. So my two notes about Todd are thus in my in my notes fucking hipster todd and then a few sentences later page 53 i'm so glad todd is dead <laughs> yeah um he was todd, so irritating on the yeah. page that i wished him to die he's like, like uh, I, I don't remember what like the actual description of him <laughs> is but in my head he's just one oh. of those like you know got a beard and he's wearing a cardigan, and he's about to bust out the ukulele and sing softly. I think he even almost does that at one point. <laughs> yeah, he has like he he talks about how he's uh he's always got like I don't know fancy galoshes or whatever r- fancy wellies and um talking about his like amazing uh, trip to India and how yeah. he brought like back like unique fancy jams or some shit. No, like, no, 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 no. He went to India and he was like. Oh man, I met so many people, man. It was just like so mind blowing and opening to the conscious. You know, one of those fucking people. Um, Not to say that like traveling doesn't open your mind to other experiences and other people, but just, you know, we get it, man. Like, you don't have to fucking like salivate over it all the time. So, so anyway, Weber did a great job of representing the fucking Todds in our lives. (laughs) She's really great. Great. And making you want to go like, oh, Todd sucks. And then he dies and you're like, uh, I'm not sad about it. Yeah, I, I, get, I, I guess I didn't want him to die horribly like that, but like, I, I'm glad I don't have to read about him anymore. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, yes. Um, he mostly manifests as Duncan's survivor's guilt after yeah. that. And of course, I mean, I think it's very... It's very natural. For, I mean, anybody... anything anybody would feel that way, you know, if... Yeah. If you accidentally slip into, like, a weird hornet coma and kill this person, that's awful. But if, if it's also... It, there's layers here, right? It's like, you know, you have a horrible accident where you survive, but your accident, you know, kills someone else. The second layer is you were kind of into that person. The third layer is you're kind of closeted about that you how yeah. you were into that person. So <laughs> yeah. that is just a level of yeah. depression and psychosis that I would not wish upon anyone. And I, yeah, so Duncan is Duncan is totally right in being like. Fuck this. I want to get out the game. Like, I'm done, you know? Yeah, take yourself out the game. If, if none of you have it. seen uh, the music video for the song, Take Yourself Out... Is it Take Yourself Out the Game or is it just called The Game? Take Yourself Out the Game by the Buckwheat Groats. Please, yeah, it's a <laughs> ridiculous song about um, suicide, but 
anyway uh um so <laughs> paris yeah. before we move on, on from todd topic i want to say were you all in this in the way that i was like fearful of monkey hand jobs happening <laughs> Were you also mildly fearful, even though the hornet sting took place before they got in the car together, were you also fearful that, like, Todd's caress was going to turn into them, like, making out and then, like, attempting to give Roadhead and that's how yes, the car crashed? Yes, happens? yes, Chris, yes. The whole time I was like, like, the second I read that sentence in chapter two, I was like, oh, this is some American God shit. He's going to give him head and then they're going to die because he's just too into the roadhead but then yeah. that didn't happen and i was like okay i'm happy that that didn't happen we're just broken people expecting all this weird shit. <laughs> well no we're not. it's because of the this bizarre blanket fort that we've constructed <laughs> of terrible terrible media um you know when you're when the only when your only milk is the milk of Bad fiction and nonfiction. Bad writing. <laughs> the sour teat of <laughs> this cow. The sour teat of Terriblo himself. <laughs> God. Uh, um, yeah, so... Yeah, I also... I'm really glad you brought that up because I forgot to write that in my notes. I, for some... Uh, so I... This, this like, isn't even a thing that matters. I don't know why I'm talking about this, but... Uh, the weather has been pretty nice, so I've been spending as much time as possible on my porch. I love sitting on my porch. It's just one of my favorite places. It's like my favorite place in my house. You're going to turn um, to an old porch lady, Paris. It's going to be great. Oh, I'm already there, dude. <laughs> like, like I live alone. I have no one. I sit on my porch. I read bad books and take... So, uh, I was... So, because I've been on the porch a lot, um, I was handwriting my notes for this. So, I, I handwrote them in my terrible book club notebook, and then I typed them up. Uh, most of the oh, time I type you get it from India and like you did it on your travels you fucking <laughs> hipster <laughs> oh yeah I communed with the fucking saints or whatever oh, the gods deities of India um, oh, fuck me anyway so uh, you're handwriting about- on your porch no I was just saying that I hand wrote I hand wrote these notes and so I think I was a little more careful about what I took notes on um, so it was like only things that I, that really, really jumped out at me. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't like usual where I just type everything that comes to mind and then I condense, you know, I cut later, but anyway, um, yeah, from here we can get past Todd segment finally, because again, it's only really relevant as, um, Duncan survivors go. And like you talked about, it's very multi-layered in that way because he has all these different feelings tied up in Todd, not just the fact that he, you know, was p- killed in the accident. Um, and yeah, and he barely confronts them, like yeah. barely. And we're inside his fucking mind throughout almost this entire book, and he barely touches on Todd and just brushes, just brushes past, you know, all the dicks in his mind. <laughs> um, there's like really, uh, yeah, like Chris said, it's very realistic in that way because, again, I'm sorry, Chris, I just want to bring back to the point you made where, you know, if you're repressing something. Typically, you're not thinking about it constantly, right? Because yeah. you're trying, you're denying it to even yourself most of the time. So, yeah, I thought that was that was really good. Um, it builds on the other layers of just like op- oppressive depression that happen in this, which is what most of this book is. And it's the thing that made me really kind of teeter back and forth on: Do I like this book or do I not like this book? Because boy, is the rest of the book just like ruminations on like. Um, oh, Duncan couldn't get his, like, architecture dream really going because he was designing, you know, the or building designs of other people's 
um, artfulness, not his own. He has this house that he sort of designed back in architecture school called, that's like a riff on a, like a manufactured style home, which is considered very like passe. Like, oh, you you just got a one in a million fucking manufactured home. You didn't get your, your house specially designed. What kind of plebeian are you? Yeah. So he does, imagine thinking that way. I know, first of all. <laughs> and, that, and that's like part of. I'm going to get yeah, well, to there. And, yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk about that whole fucking basket of nonsense later. Um, I really want to talk about all the things we like about it, just because it it helps. Um, I'm honestly, I'm about to get into the stuff that oh, okay, I go necessarily ahead, go didn't ahead, like. Then. So, yeah. like with this thing, especially where okay, so Duncan designs this explicated four square house, which is what it's called. I'm yeah, and you, P.S. He grew up in a Sears four square house, so yeah, don't it has ask, special meaning to him. Yeah, don't ask me what that is, even after this book went into severe detail about exactly what that is. Oh yeah, pornographic architectural detail. Is a thing I couldn't fucking stand about this book, but anyway, and, yeah, and that, no, that but that's exactly what I'm talking about here. Yeah. Where like it's it's that's sort of like the minor joy, I guess you can like even if it's, a lot of the book is Duncan talking about various architectural terminology or like you said architecture porn like that, or Laura talking about various art conservation terminology and, and tidbits and stuff like that to the point where you're just like, oh, this is, I'm so bored. I, it felt why like, I- yeah, like whenever, so there's three, there are three times when that happens. So it's not even like we just have to put up with the architecture porn. There's also, there's the architecture stuff. There's Laura's conservation jargon. And then there's, uh, sorry, I said four. I think I meant three. There's the architecture, the conservation stuff, and then you there's three. the and then, oh sorry I did, and then there's the gardening shit. So it's or the plant stuff. I felt like we were reading Rich Shapiro again. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> yeah, oh no, how many types of grass am I gonna learn about today? And while and okay, get, don't get me wrong, like I'm a fucking tree hugging, you know, environmentalist or freak or whatever. But plants I, are rad, trees are rad. Yeah, but like reading lists of grass names is not what I want in a novel. You get yeah. what I'm saying here? Like, yeah. there's a time and place for me to learn about the care of hydrangeas and right like in this book it is was not that time or neither the time nor place for that so and that's I'm, my issue yeah i'm always questioning is that meaningfully done in that that's supposed to kind of put you in this bored state where you're like oh it's just this i'm just doing this all the time over and over and over again um i that's how i felt kind of locked in with duncan here <laughs> Where it's just like, okay, your whole life is just like, I, I you know, I get being passionate about your career or especially <laughs> Chris, your Chris, art. Chris as hell isn't other people. It's someone listing types of molding at him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah even though I have minor real estate experience, too, and like that's talking true. about stuff like that. It's just like, I, I you know, if, if that's the, is that the joy that Duncan had anymore? Just like be able to think about those kinds of things and think about his explicated four square house and like if it could have happened. And later on in the book, Laura even like tries to she she has a pair of uh, I don't know like not patrons but just this like infuriating couple that like steals art like buys arts that's like cu- cultural treasures just for their fucking private collection and comes to various museums hoping to like get it appraised or fixed or something like that. Yada yada, they suck. And she- well, but yeah, because their their whole deal is like if they get something um authenticated then they can be said to have, like, the first ever... In this case, it's the first ever pair of a certain type of, I believe, Chinese bowl, tea bowls, teacups, something like that. Um, <laughs> Paris tea bowl. Is <laughs> <on your> <laughs> <laughs> I 
This is your new name. Oh, fuck me. I fucking hate my last name. God damn it. Oh, anyway. Yeah. Paris fine Parisian T-balls. T-balls. Oh, God. Okay, that's cracking me up. Um, I need to stop thinking about that right now. But um, So this insufferable rich couple is like, Hey, if you authenticate these these definitely forged <laughs> bowls, well, it, it like Laura suspects that uh, it was one bowl, and they took the shards and had somebody make them into two to make so that they would be the only people in the world with the only known pair of Chinese tea cups from this certain dynasty ever so, in the world so, so they can be special the, even with the death of todd we're not free from white hipster fucks oh god it's yeah that's yeah honestly that shit is the thing that made me not want to read this book anyway continue so yeah th- this couple when you know she they bring this thing to laura they fa- find out like oh we heard about duncan I, we you know he, we heard he's an architect and they like spot um the laura took out the design that duncan had because it was just like behind a bunch of other shit in the house she pulled it out and she thought to herself oh, this would be cool to have this framed for him. He would might feel better yeah, about that. Yeah, it's like and a she, sweet gesture. I thought yeah, it was she just really like nice. had it in her office and then the two, the couple spots it and they're like, oh, we were actually going to build our own house out on this island. Uh, that looks quite wonderful. You know, if you authenticate these bowls, perhaps we can use your husband's design. Wouldn't that be so nice for him in his current state to have like his design realized? And you, you, I mean, even Laura internally is like this, fucking so- i can't believe this is going to be might be the way but it is it might help uh, even she's like in inner in turmoil about it which you know which yeah which which is funny because she's also one of these like awful rich people even though she didn't start that way she started life off poor you know and disadvantaged but um i don't know she's also one of these insufferable rich white people so and she's sort of self-aware about it on some level where but she's yeah. o- she's also kind of like at least i'm not these two essentially <laughs> yeah which is like, ah, great for you, I guess. But um, anyway, so the Duncan having those dreams realized is kind of like maybe his one joy that he can have. And these lengthy passages about, you know, grass types or architecture and art cons- conservation jargon, I think might be a device to sort of put you in that very like everything is boring and samey around me. And I have to reach for like the tiniest scraps of interest just to like maintain just to keep going just to keep turning the pages in this book that is yeah i mean i think it's mind-numbing sometimes i don't and i don't want to i guess i don't want to criticize it too much because it is a part of world building right to to bring you into this person's mind and they're of course going to use all of these words that we all these words and concepts and you know species of plant or whatever that we don't know but it just go. It's just too much of it. Like if there had been touches of it, it would have been fine. But having paragraph upon paragraph about Laura restoring some fucking bowl, like a Christ, like that stuff is yeah. what made me go. Oh, I just want this to be over. I mean, it was never. Luckily, it never went on too too long. But I still think it went on overall too long every time any of those things happened. Yeah, um, and that's why I kind of suspect it might have been a device to make you feel like Duncan does. Maybe. Nah, I mean, I, I don't know. But anyway, it's not like an unforgivable sin. I was, It was just a yeah. part of the book I was not about. Um, and yeah, I mean, if, if we want to get into the whole, like, this, the fact that this book oozes with a thick, white, wealthy, wealthy, privileged icker, um, <laughs> yeah, like, that, that's dripping. really, yeah, that's the thing that got me. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess there's there's no way for me to explain how I feel without it sounding bad to someone, so... 
doing my best here, using my words the best I can. But <laughs> um, so first of all, I just want to say I'm not discounting the experience of people who happen to be white and wealthy and also paraplegic or differently abled in some way. But the way that it was displayed in the book became almost distracting at times, which is kind of what we were talking about with like the list of plant names and going on about molding and how, you know, oh, how they desperately need to adopt from China because all of their other rich white friends have little Chinese girl babies and they all go to this one hotel and they, oh God, it was, that was insufferable. Um, It's like, it's, yeah, it's almost distracting and takes you away from the heart of this book, which is the mental and emotional turmoil of someone who is suddenly paraplegic and wants to die. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, that's really depressing, but like, that's the whole core of the book. And I don't, I don't know the rest of all that rich people stuff really was just, it was hard to get through. And and, you know, it's like, I'm not the arbiter of whose story deserves to be told, but in this world we live in, especially right now where we have wealthy, often white celebrities spelling, we're all in this together with their yachts and tell, and telling us that the pandemic is the great equalizer from a floral milk bath. You know, I found (laughs) it difficult not to read this and imagine how a regular person might handle this sort of injury, and that was heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, and I and I think there's this... Weber's, like, trying to drive this point home that serious injury can happen to anyone, regardless of color, wealth, privilege, status, whatever, in terms of mental anguish. But it, it just made it really difficult for me at times to sympathize with the characters uh, because of their background, especially Laura, and because this sort of background is the most prevalent in all writing yeah (laughs) you know it's like if we could just get something else this time would have been or at least all writing that we're most frequently exposed to because there's plenty of of, you know non-white experiences being written out there it's just that they tend to be buried amongst all the other whiter experiences it's it's not even non-white it's like it's like i'm looking for things for people that are just from different classes or, you know, sure. ethnicities. It's, it's kind of like this whole mixed bag. Um, so, hey, at least we're getting a story about, you know, someone who's a wheelchair user who, you know, has paraplegia. But there's also all this other stuff that's just, I don't know, it comes with this, this these big white bags. And I just don't, <laughs> I just don't want them. Um, yeah. So, Chris, I know you have your piece to speak on that as well. So. Uh, for me, like it's you basically hit all the points, honestly. Where it, it like you said, it makes it harder to sympathize with Duncan on some levels. Where it's like, well, you've got all these personal care workers, and yeah, it's a it's a shit situation, regardless of if you can afford personal care workers, of course. But it, it couched in all the other stuff, you're just like, okay, I I'm so bored with this, and that, I think that might be again kind of why my mood on the book kept swinging back and forth, where the point might be to show you how like trapped you can feel in this milk toast lifestyle because it seems to me like you know the mm. Duncan and Laura are the type of people where like they're just moving along doing their thing day to day they did everything they were supposed to and now they're like they the most things that they're going to ex- the things they'll get most excited about is like we got a new coffee at Whole Foods this week. Or like... <laughs> no, I honestly, yeah, maybe maybe you're right, and you're looking at this in a much better way than I am, and perhaps in a more accurate way by saying, yeah, all this stuff is really annoying in the book, but it's kind of there to show you that that kind of life sort of blows. 
or it, in its know, own it, way, you it know? Might, it, yeah, it might, it might not, depending on how you, your perspective, of course. And I think two of the points that I think can kind of round out this discussion are going back to sort of Laura and Duncan wanting to adopt a small Chinese girl like their friends do is because they've been trying to conceive for so long. And even like Laura thought she might have been pregnant right before the accident. Turns out she wasn't. And that's like something that she sort of like hides from Duncan for a bit. By the way, that's another point we'll get to later. A big theme in this book being small deceptions. Yeah, which I didn't pick like I didn't pick up on until you said it. So thank you. Yeah. And we'll talk about it in a moment. But um, in addition to that, I think the contrast to Gordon and Laura is um, Duncan's twin brother, his literal twin, by the way, um, Gordy or Gordon who lives nearby them like a bike ride worth of time away in a small house that's like a little bit run down with his dog and that's it. And he's like totally fine. He seems to be content living that way. And he has a job like a video store. I think I don't think he, he might be like the like mid-level manager or not even that. No, he works. Like. He works at a bookstore now or a book. Yeah. He worked yeah. at a video store before and then he worked. Now he works at a bookstore yeah, and it's correct. like he didn't advance very high, but it seems like he's supporting himself. At least I think maybe yeah. the house was donated to him in some fashion. No, 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 no. He just pays rent. I mean. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, he rents, but like, he, yeah. he lives this very simple life, and like, he's cool with it. And Duncan and Laura, especially, kind of like treat him like a complete child, or like he's inept, or he needs some kind of help, or something. And I wish they would have just fucking laid off him the whole time, because yeah, okay, yeah, Gordy is he. They they like, why don't you have a girlfriend? Why aren't you looking for a better job? Why aren't you trying to like build something more? And I get ambition is a good thing to have for your own personal mental health. A lot of people don't love to stagnate and feel the same in a way, but if Gordy's fine, fucking leave him alone. He just seems like a regular dude that, like you said, is just kind of I don't know, happy like content with his life and like there's nothing wrong with it, and there's a line in there about how he he himself, like when we get one of the small Gordy chapters or sections, he talks about how he's so tired of everyone asking him if he has a girlfriend or a boyfriend, and he's like, I just wish people would realize that I don't want either. I'm happy with my... I don't want a partner. They can, they can never even conceive that that's a possibility, you know? And he doesn't yeah. share that with anyone, but it yeah. was just a really great line to be like, yeah, man, some people are just asexual or aromantic or I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not like an expert on all the categorizations for, you know, people's feelings or whatever. But yeah, it's it's just sucky that that's how everyone treats him. And Laura talks to him like he's a fucking baby. And I hated it. I hated Laura it's for infuriating. that. Ugh. It's that one example of like infantilizing someone who's disabled, even though he's not disabled at all. So it's sort of like the other side of things there where he's just he's happy and fine with how he's living his life. Like we don't always have to be living up to all these milestones that society puts on us. Like, oh, you have to have your own house. You have to have a significant other and like you have to start having kids. And like Gordy's just like, no, nah, I'm going to hang out with my dog and work at my bookstore and just hang out and live my life how I want. And I think that's. Like, he's the most secure person in the book because of it. Dude, I know, right? He's the most, like... He's the happiest person. Yeah, he's the most person. secure, happy, normal-ass person in this book. And, yeah, it's... I think that's purposeful. He's the contrast point to Duncan because they're literal twins. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, he's a little bit, like, less clean shaven. Like, he's got a wilder beard and shit like that. But, like... Oh, and he has, he has like, long hair and a beard. Yeah. yeah. And, like, but he's fine. And the, the so it, the, when we get the Gordy section where he talks about how he just wishes people would generally leave him alone about a lot of that shit, I think that's what made me realize that hopefully the author has that thought process where she is trying to use Gordy as the contrast point and not necessarily literally talking down to people like Gordy. Yeah, yeah, I think I think she is. I think it's written in a way where it doesn't feel like... It, it just feels like she's showing you how shitty other people in the book are, you know? Um, yeah, and generally he's like... After the accident, Laura even like has an emotional breakdown because she wants to oh be boy. pregnant and she basically just is like, Gordy, give me your sperm. G- give me your sperm now like so I can actually have a baby. It'll be the same as Duncan. Would you help me that way? Why won't you do it, Gordy? Yeah, What's that wrong with happened. you? Yep, that was, that was the most difficult. Other than the last 20 pages of the book, that was the most difficult scene to read. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you know, someone that has been trying to have a child and now has effectively lost their chance for it, even though I think you can still, even with paraplegic people, you can get that, right? Like, you can... Uh, yeah, I I don't know. Um, I was also under the assumption that it was possible to still... Uh, per, uh, Harvest? <laughs> to still, no, 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 to still... Um, <laughs> try with like in vitro yeah. fertilization or whatever or insemination so i i don't know um what that was about i mean i think there might have been a line or two about the fact that it was like it wasn't possible for some reason i i sorry yeah. i honestly i didn't take notes on the insemination possibilities yeah. um the, but the anyway the main point of it is that it's kind of a lost hope for them at this point and when like duncan's super depressed he's not going to be in the mood to be a dad after you know that as well so even if he can physically do it he might not be mentally prepared for that anymore as well yeah um and that scene with laura and gordy was just extra gross because the rest of the time she talks to him like he's a toddler and then she's wine drunk and being like fuck me gordy and he's like oh no wow and the whole time gordy like she even yells at him before and gordy's like i what do you want me to say i'll say it just please stop i don't want to be here anymore yeah and i i really love there was a point where laura was just you know chattering at him like he was a toddler in the hospital room with duncan and gordon bends down to tie his shoe and then he stands up and he goes I know this is hard for you right now, but can you please not talk to me so much? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, fuck yeah, you tell her. She sucks. I know. Like, again, <laughs> Gordy is the most, like, self-actualized sort of, like, <laughs> I'm comfy who I am. Don't fuck with me, please, person yeah. in the book. And I, 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 it made me sad every time someone talked down to him for not just... Yeah, living the lifestyle they wanted. It was bullshit through and through. Oh god, it's just it's one of the and I don't I don't know why this is something that bothers me so much because it doesn't happen to me. But when I see other people talking to people who are like differently abled or whatever, like they're fucking infants, I fucking hate that shit. I will get involved in that conversation to stop that from happening because I I don't even like when people talk to kids like they're kids. Like, I don't like that. Um, I feel like even when you're talking to a child, you should still just talk to them in a normal voice. I really hate the whole like, 
oh, what did you do today? Like, just say, hey, how was school today? Like, you don't need to do this uh, weird affectation. As someone that works with kids, Paris, sometimes they, you know, it's good to give them the, like, you know, they come in with, like, hey, guess what? Today I'm going to a birthday party. And you should be like, oh, that's cool, man. Have fun at the birthday party. Oh, well, yeah, no, but that's not what I'm saying. Oh, I, okay. I'm saying, I'm saying, no. <laughs> I imagine you, like, a kid walking up to you, Paris, and be like, I'm going to a birthday party today. And you're just like, yeah, cool, whatever. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, <laughs> No, I mean, you don't need to change the pitch of your voice. You don't need to try to use the simplest word or phrase possible and treat them like they're, a, I don't know, like a puppy or something. I, I just hate that. But it's obviously much worse when you're doing that to an adult or an adolescent who does not need to be yeah. talked to that way. And I, I don't know. I used to see it happen all the time when I worked when I worked in jobs where i was dealing with the general public all the time so when i was a retail manager when i was managing um at the aquarium it was like you just see people i don't know it's like they see someone they see a wheelchair user and they will they'll just start talking in this baby voice and i'm like what the fuck is wrong with you that person is a person stop doing that like i I actually have relevant thoughts about this because um, when I take public transport, which I haven't done in a couple months now, what a time! Yeah. Um, I used to take uh, the commuter. Ra- uh, I will again take the commuter rail um, uh, out from yeah. The just station keep, in just Boston. keep, just keep willing that that yeah. train into existence. Um, and you know, when I have a blind pass, I get to take that train for free. It's pretty fun. But sometimes, you know, most conductors will ask me, do you need any help in, like, getting off? They always phrase it, do you need any help getting off? And I always chuckle to myself. <laughs> You're <laughs> like, yeah, actually, uh, you got five minutes now. <laughs> so, so in, there's, but there's a couple of various tones they can give it, you know, give it to me. And <laughs> um, that some of them are, annoy me more. When I get the, like, the raised pitch, where it's like, oh, do you need any help getting off? I'm like, uh, yeah, no, I'm fine. But when one of them turns to me, is like, do you need any assistance, like getting off the train or anything? Just in like a normal, like, I'm just asking you matter of factly. I much prefer that. And I can be oh, like, yeah. actually, can you just tell me like what side of the, the, the car we're getting off? at? Because it's like a double sided thing and they can. Yeah. It's, it's totally random which side, the back or the front they're going to use. So that's the only clarification I ever really need. But I much prefer it when the person is like, you need any tips or like, you know, assistance instead of like. Are you going to need any help? Are you okay, buddy? Are you out here all by yourself? Like, (laughs) fuck off. I hope you get run over by this train. It's the same question. They can even use the exact same words. It's purely like a tone thing. And it matters. Well, that fucking sucks that that happens to you. It's, I, honestly, it, it's not the worst. So, I'm I'm no, not going to get personally offended about that too much. It's just one of those minor like annoyance things. Oh, I just hate it. I hate it. I'm offended for you and it bothers <laughs> me. Um, or, or when people, you know, see someone, I don't know, someone who's like you, like we were talking about earlier, like someone who's blind or, you know, using a wheelchair and they're like, oh, you're so brave. Like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just living my life that I have yeah, to live here uh, that I've been born into. And there's also a difference in that, like, you know, some people might be doing it out of courtesy to just not want me to feel differently abled. Like, a lot of my friends don't ask me a whole lot about, like, hey, do you need help, like, walking around out here when it's really sunny or something? But my partner, a lot of the time, she will ask or she'll just kind of take my arm sometimes. And she's one of the few people that, like, does that regularly. 
And it's like one of the things I like love the most about her is that yeah, I was she's gonna say, super sensitive she, to that. She's fucking rad. That's why. <laughs> yeah. And she doesn't do it in a patronizing way. She's just, she's just like, do you need help? Any, do you need my hand here? Can I offer you like the side of my jacket at least? And I can just offer. <laughs> can I offer you the square of fabric attached yeah. to my body? <laughs> yeah. Yes, you can. Thank you. And it just it, it matters a whole lot to me. And, you know, she might have adapted to that after realizing that's how I like to be asked there. And. Just treat everyone like a new case. Try to figure it out as you go along. Give them your mental energy. That's really all I want to see is that you're taking the extra step in your brain to go like, okay, let me see how he would like this to be approached. Yeah. Anyway, that's our long rant about how we didn't like how, you know, we didn't love how people were uh, talking. But I mean, obviously, like it's in the, like I said, I think it's in the book to serve as yeah. An example of, you know, how not to be, perhaps. And um, Duncan feels this way about his own condition, too, where he doesn't like being sort of treated differently, even though he has to be treated differently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, he can't stand the fact that he can't um, can't shower or go to the bathroom by himself or get dressed. by. He can't do anything by himself because he only has use of one of his hands... Is it only one hand or is it like yeah, it's one, one hand his... is one hand is better than the other? I forget. He um, and has he... totally no control over one hand. I think it's his left hand that still works a little bit. Yeah. And then he can turn his head a little bit, but that's it. Otherwise, he has no mobility um, and he can't feel anything below. Yeah, I guess right below his nipples or something. Yeah, uh, I think that's where it cuts off. So mm-hmm. it's a what was it? A C6 spinal injury or something. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Anyhow, uh, we can talk a little bit about Laura, um, Gordon's wife, or Duncan's wife, sorry. (laughs) She wanted to be for a moment, but... Even I'm fucking up the twins. Yeah, so Laura obviously has some really unflattering moments in this, um, and I didn't... Not that she's a villain, and I don't think she was, I just... I don't know. She's trying her best, but Uh, she does things with... Like, she got the monkey without asking Duncan. Oh, yeah, we can actually, this is a good point to talk about your very, very astute observation that this book is full of little deceptions. Um, Yeah, so, So, again, there's, like, the small little thing of Laura setting up the meeting with the organization that provides helper monkeys. There's uh, Duncan's small deception to himself about, um, you know, whether he's bisexual or perhaps even gay instead of completely straight or something like that. There is the, you know, Laura keeping from Duncan the fact that she, you know, she knows for a fact she's not pre- going to be pregnant after the accident. She eventually tells him, like, fairly quickly. It's only, like, a week or so after the accident, but there's still a period where after the accident, she already knew it wasn't going to happen, that she keeps it from him. Um, and even just, like, the... the maybe not the small but the bigger deception that duncan tries to give to himself that like you know maybe i do want to continue living it's basically full of these like white lies or you know obfuscations or denials that we all do to ourselves and each other all the time consciously and unconsciously to sort of just try to make our lives a little bit more bearable all the time and I, I think that's like a major thread running throughout the book in those various examples that I gave and in a few other ways as well. But I, I it's it's I think it's a major point in the book to be like to to take a look at all these small deceptions that could balloon into bigger deceptions because you just can't 
take the time where you don't want to confront the harder to confront issue. Yeah, I mean, so you see Laura, like Laura's a great example because she progresses, right? It's like at first, or or I guess there are uh, issues with conceiving a child is, is a good example. So like Duncan reveals pretty late in the book that he actually had started taking Viagra uh-huh. and he didn't tell Laura about it. And there's also a line where, he, uh, which is one of the lines that made me think he was maybe in fact um, gay and not bisexual, um, was that he talks about imagining other things, you know, when they're yeah. having sex. And he doesn't go into detail. He just says something like that, something kind of vague. Um, he starts taking Viagra, but doesn't tell Laura. And um, and then, right, like Chris mentioned earlier, right before the accident, Laura thinks she's going to be pregnant and they they were like you know she i don't think she had i forget if she hadn't taken a pregnancy test but she was really her uh period was really late and so she was like oh it has to be this time and so right after the accident she just didn't want to tell him yeah (laughs) that she wasn't and so she lied to him a little bit you know or or maybe not because i think he was like oh how's the baby and she was just like oh just rest for now we'll talk about later or whatever and she just you know, didn't want to tell him. And then, you know, then it goes into like full blown insanity when she's like, like I said earlier, screaming and wine drunk, asking Gordon yeah. to fuck her or give her his sperm. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was, oh, that was rough. And so, you know, obviously, I hate to say it, but obviously even that, that last episode there comes from a well-meaning place, right? She's like, you know, if I can just give him something to will him to keep living because she wants him to be alive. Hey listeners, it's Chris and Paris from the future. So we very, very rarely cut anything from this show, uh, most especially entire segments, but we felt it was the responsible decision in this case. Uh, We tried to discuss... um, end-of-life matters here as they are related to the book, but felt it may have given the wrong impression. So, yeah, here we are. Um, We would like to steer the conversation more towards whether depiction in this book is more justified than if the decision made was justified. Yeah, so, I mean, of course, this book centers primarily on um, suicide, uh, on the main character's decision. Um, to do that. And so, yeah, the question is like, is this, is the depiction of it in this, in this novel appropriate? Um, I mean, I, I think it is. I think that she does a really great job, the author, I mean, um, of, of wrestling with this really difficult, uh, concept. Yeah. There's about 20 pages of this book. That is a note that Duncan leaves. And it's a tough read. Oh, yeah. that w- Reading a 20-page suicide note was not something I was prepared for. Um, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It was really hard. Um, I had to take breaks. Um, so this book is definitely not... Yeah, it's it may not be for a lot of people because of that. Um, yeah, and if, you know, if you happen to need help in that area... The National Suicide Prevention Hotline number is 1-800-273-8255. We'll just leave that there for you. Yeah, definitely, you know, if you're struggling with this, please reach out either to that phone number or like a friend, family, or a mental health professional you know. 
um you know this is not i guess but we're the, not we're not covering that decision so much as again the depiction in the book here right and i think it is you know if you're really dealing with this topic of course you have to go there yeah so, i mean yeah it's like <sighs> So again, it's it's one of these hard discussions where, of course, we we need to mention it because if we if we don't mention this at all, we're doing a total disservice to reviewing the book. I mean, it wouldn't make any sense to be like, yeah, we're just gonna sweep that under the rug like that giant, huge, award-winning melon-sized lump, just gonna yeah, shove that you, under the rug. Like we can't do that. So, and if you ended this book without mentioning what happened to Duncan, that would be a disservice to the story as well. Yeah, and I mean the author. You know, I think the author deserves a an accurate review, so it has to be talked about. But, um, but yeah, we just we're we're trying to we're doing our fucking best here. Okay, it's, the, it's and you know, uh, again, talking about is the decision justified is not relevant to a book review podcast. This isn't like ethics review with Paris and Chris. <laughs> That's some other podcast, I'm sure. Yeah, and I mean, with two I, different like, people. We've definitely touched on some some difficult topics before, but it again, it just feels. Like when we both listened to early edits of the episode, I was like cringing listening to us talk about that. So uh-huh. that's why we decided to pull it. Um, when I was listening, I sent you the first edit. I go, you know, I'm listening for like coughs and bumps and like, you know, someone hitting up, putting a glass down on the table too hard or something like that. So my brain's in a different space sometimes than like listening to the content all the time, which might not be great. But that's what led us here to like adding in this little splice here. I bet you didn't notice because I'm such a cool edit. No, you probably noticed. Yeah, yeah it's very obvious because <laughs> I'm sure that we're not both, you know. Um, the same distance from our microphones as the previous recording and, yeah. all, and all that stuff. But uh, the yeah. le- level should be the same, at least for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't I don't know that we need to say anything else other than that is how the book ends. And there is a very quick um, po- prologue or prologue <laughs> epilogue. That is the opposite of epilogue. There's a very quick epilogue um, describing Laura's actually fairly happy life afterward by uh, being a monkey caretaker. She's raising uh two two new bonded capuchins with Adeline. um and it seems like yeah seems like things are pretty good for her and the monkeys so she becomes a monkey lady the end the end <sighs> well um we're turning you back to the re- the rest of the episode of the original version here y'all so um away we go Um, so I guess we can talk about some other small things in the book, um, now that we've kind of gotten through all the more serious stuff. I, so Chris and I very briefly, uh, discussed this before recording kind of accidentally. Um, I feel like the author commits a, a cardinal sin of, of white authors, uh, where she describes one of their, um, personal care workers as a coffee colored man (laughs) and i was like oh no it happened like because there was nothing else in this book that's that even touches on racism or anything but then there's that one phrase and i was like oh that's kind of gross so i kind of just wish that that hadn't happened but 
whatever. Yeah, and our whole discussion before the episode started was like, well, you know, it, you, you made the point that often it's people of color that get described with, like, food item adjectives or descriptors. Yeah, it's just kind of gross. And I made the point that, like, I've heard of white people, especially white ladies, being described as creamy, but very rarely white dudes, unless it's, like, a really fat white guy who sometimes gets described as like kind of like with weird complexion or something like that that might get described grossly but like yeah it, your average white dude character never gets described with like oh he looks like a, a a glass of milk or something <laughs> yeah well and the the reason that it's a problem is because they use those phrases because the default to be a, is assumed to be white which yeah. is not cool um so that that kind of that just kind of put a bad taste in my mouth um i wish that you need that to add phrase... more creamer to that coffee oh <laughs> god no i like i actually like my coffee black so does that that didn't work on me um <laughs> let me see there was like another there's a couple of like a um, little tidbits that were like you have page numbers in the notes here for like little extra things that aren't really relevant to the bigger discussion but you know just interesting. Oh yeah, like there there's actually there's this chapter where Laura's talking about her childhood. And um uh con- content warning, going to talk about uh potential assault here, so I don't know. Um and child murder i guess so there's this section where she's talking about her childhood or thinking about her childhood and she talks about going to this carnival or no she talks about having a fever and dreaming about this carnival and how she couldn't resist pressing this red button and how a bunch of other children may have been injured or killed because she like turned a ride on when people were unbuckled like one of those spinning rides and but then it also briefly like for like a one sentence it's it says something about the carnival man forcing her to touch the button and how he was gross and so maybe she was sexually assaulted by the carnival ride man but but then it's all couched in this like literal fever dream where she's like i i don't know so it was a very weird way to (laughs) to portray that um i think it was one of those like denial things or like you know emphasizing the theme of denial or small deceptions because it's her mom takes her to the carnival and lets her get on the ride but the mom isn't paying attention and it seems like laura presses the fucking like ride (laughs) self-destruct button no No, she she turns it on when everyone is unbuckled is the thing yeah yeah but but and then like her mom takes her away very quickly and just like you know soothes her with some ice cream and she's like don't worry about what just happened we're we gotta go don't ever worry about that what are you talking like later when she i think she even talks about later when she tries to bring it up to her mom her mom being like nah don't don't worry about that yeah her mom's like that didn't happen or something i don't know yeah so kind of unclear um i don't know that that story was really i don't know that was really necessary i didn't feel like it provided anything to the larger work um, yeah, like I said, just maybe trying to know. reinforce the the way or Laura's ability to ha- sit in denial for a long time. Yeah, yeah, maybe you're right. I, I hadn't considered that, so maybe you're right. Maybe it does serve a purpose. Um, speaking of which, the Laura chapters also talk about her time at this uh, apprenticing at this really prestigious um, art conservation lab where she and another apprentice, um, I mean, they were like getting their doctorates, you know, but they were still, you know, students. They were working on restoring a durer um woodcut i think yep or print uh 
I don't remember if it was it was a woodcut, right? And I was reading it and I was like, oh my god, if they if they say that they ruined a door, I'm gonna fucking hurt someone. And then my note is in all caps, I'm coming for you, Jill Feldman and Laura Wheeler. <laughs> um, because they did ruin a door. Um, and they ruined it so badly that the studio or the conservation lab forged a co- forged a copy. Yeah. They bought a forgery and like fixed it up really well and gave it back to the museum that, you know, or gave them the original that they ruined. Yeah, um, once again that theme of deception where it's like, yeah. well, we had one and you know, no one's really the wiser, so what's it really hurting? <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, so then that kind of primes you to or primes Laura later on to be really good at authenticating that pair of teacups that definitely aren't authentic um but she knows what she's doing because of that you know that in that thing that happened earlier and i mean technically laura was like when she's talking about the door thing that got ruined she was like well it was it was my fault in terms of negligence but the other apprentice is the one that measured like 10 times as much of a solution as they were supposed to use or something and Laura just didn't check because she didn't like the other apprentice. Yeah. <laughs> so they both suck and yeah. failed but whatever. Um I don't know there's also this weird um so one of the like ancillary characters they focus on a couple of times is Ingi who is the uh nanny of the children across the street the children that that duncan eventually uh introduces the monkey to who he kind of you know takes a liking to and they they just the portrayal of ingy is really shitty they talk about her as though she can't speak english which is bizarre because she's from either norway or sweden or denmark and i was like i've never met a scandinavian who didn't speak perfect english so they, they are fine man was, like they they know how was, to speak that language yeah so it was really weird i mean and of course you know you're gonna have people here or there depending on where they where they're from in these countries that i don't know maybe maybe aren't as good i don't know it just seemed like a what very strange in, she's depiction. an au pair right like she's, yeah. she's coming over here and like most of the people of that type will have prepared to have come here or like have the skills but she yeah. talks in like vi- like kind of broken english about certain things that yeah and they were they were trying to make it seem like she didn't understand some words and i was like i don't i don't know it just seemed really off the mark for me um and maybe this is like my nor norweebiness coming out, um, but like it just seemed a little strange. It seemed off to me. They're like, yeah, all she does is look at her phone, and oh no, a pregnancy test came spilling out of her purse. Like, I, I don't know. I just didn't like yeah the, the whole because they they're trying to-, to paint it like having a pregnancy test was a bad thing. Yeah, like oh, I was well, like what? How Why? flighty and scandalous. Like, no, it's just like, it's not the worst idea to have one. Or maybe it was just like that week she was checking up on something. It's possible. It's not like a shameful thing to go like, oh, shit, the condom might have broke. I guess I better check. I think what they were also trying to come to, though, is that later on the wife comes by of that family and she like says, we fired Ingi. She's probably trying to sleep with my husband. So maybe the pregnancy testing was sort of be like, oh, she was sleeping with him and she was. No, no, I mean, and and I get that, but. Still, I just didn't get what that added to the novel. Yeah, it literally added nothing. You, you, Ingi yeah. could have just been the caretaker of the kids, and the kids were really the main point. They were like a, a thing for Duncan to like find some joy in and being like, hey, I'm the guy in the wheelchair with the monkey. Check me out, kids, which like he does delight in. Oh, I have a fun note for page 205. 
I have a note that says 10 out of 10 would smother anyone who gave me that English muffin order. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. And because Duncan goes on and on bitching about how no one can get his fucking English, mu- English muffins right. And I get, obviously, that there's... It's part of that, his, that was, like, I can't yeah. even get myself the right English muffin. I, I, I just did it myself before. It was so much easier when I could do it myself. But it is a shitty way to be served an English muffin. Yeah. Like. Um. Oh, yeah. Yeah, here it is. Uh. Uh. With cinnamon. Use the Vietnamese cinnamon on the top shelf, not the Ceylon, please. Who has different types of cinnamon? I didn't even know there were different types of cinnamon before I read that sentence. Another um, indicator of how fucking, like, upscale white Duncan is. He's like, um, the Vietnamese cinnamon, please. Uh, um, with sweet butter fully melted into the acclivities and declivities. Uh, yeah, that's what I wrote. Yeah, 10 out of 10 would kill someone who gave me this English muffin order. Wendell puts the entire muffin in the toaster. And may I just say that his overcooked scrambled eggs are horrible. I think he uses oil instead of butter. And then he only scrambles the eggs once they're in the pan on a very high heat. They're not scrambled. They're scried. <laughs> and then uh, uh, Kathy slices English muffins with a butter knife and then barely toasts them at all. So they're still pale and floppy. Uh, yesterday, Darlene sliced my... There's literally a page of <laughs> English, like muffin English muffin rants. It was the final straw. Yeah, that was it. Put me over the edge. No, I mean, I... Again, I... I I understand, but I also like that that's included because yeah. you're like, yeah, Duncan's kind of a fucking sniveling rich jerk sometimes. So, oh, use the Vietnamese, not the Ceylon. Oh man, that blind. Oh, yeah, that got me. I was can like, I, can we also have a brief like thing about the acclivities and declivities? Like, uh, can I, nooks and about, crannies, nooks and yeah. fucking crannies. How about the use of the word quotidian uh, like seven times in this book? I still don't know what the fuck it means, and I refuse to look it up because oh, fuck it just you, means. Oh, quotidian just means like average, uh, like almost like a like a yeah, like average daily normal. Oh, maybe that's on purpose though, but just to like reinforce how fucking samey everything fucking feels in this book. Yeah, right? it's almost like like quotidian. It's like, it it technically it refers to like like a da- a daily thing. That's like the origin of the etymology. Of the word is rooted in the word for like. Daily, oh, well, basically, but me, so like a, an everyday average thing. Every time it showed up, I was just like, Ugh, <laughs> "Stop it!" <laughs> no, I felt the same way. I was yeah. also like, "Why do you keep using this word?" They even use it in the summary for the book too. So I know it's like she found it on some like word of the day thing, and she was like, "Ah, I'll cram this in a bunch of times." Yeah. So I don't know. So anyway, so we've we've talked about everything. I kind of want to talk about like. Who is this book for? <laughs> yeah, because... This, this kind of wraps up into the can we fix it portion of this, I think, because like, yeah. what? who's the target audience for this? Because I would, I would, I don't know if I would recommend this book. Again, not because it was terrible, but because I'm like, who is looking for a book about suicide and helper monkeys? I and rich white people? Someone is, I guess. And I guess it's good that it's out there for them. I wouldn't say this book shouldn't have been written. No, no, no. I, I just think that maybe this is a book for people who are really into, like, character studies. Yeah. I guess. So if you're into just reading about people's lives and you don't have as many weird particular hang-ups as we do, then, yeah, this will probably be great for you if you can handle the depression that comes along with reading this book um also also maybe let's wait till the pandemic's over for anyone to pick this up i wouldn't recommend picking it up anytime soon wait for some brighter skies there folks um yeah also maybe it's for because at the end 
um, it, the, the author makes a point to say, like, hey, there's really only one place that trains uh, helper monkeys. Turns out it's in our hometown. Oh, I actually, and funny story, I actually know about this place. Uh, help, it's Helping Hands, I think. Yeah. Um, Because one day, I mean, probably, like, this is probably 12 years ago now, or 10 or 12 years ago, one day I was at work, and this woman, I was helping this woman with something, and she was actually very kind, and I was very thankful that she was kind um and she gave me her card and she was like yeah i work at um this monkey sanctuary we train capuchins to be helpers for people she's like oh yeah we're right down the road and gave me her card and it was this place in boston and i was like oh weird and turns out this is like the inspiration for this book maybe i don't know what the inspiration for this book i mean it's there's certainly a note in the book about it and the author um encourages you to donate to it i think yeah or at least, like, uh, you know, let other people know that this is an option or something if, if you, you know someone that could use a helper monkey like this. Yeah, so I don't know if this was, like, a PSA for helper monkeys. Like, I, I don't Maybe. know. Maybe. It's not, I mean, it's kind of tough to, well, I, I guess even if the main character does end his life, he still got some help and, like, his mood was helped in a way. Yeah, I do think... That ultimate, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe this book is for people new, like dealing with paraplegia. I don't know. Um, maybe they might find again. I hate speculating about people who are so different from me, but yeah. Um, maybe they would find some comfort in the fact that you know, even even if they're aggressively rich and white, maybe they would find some comfort in Duncan's internal monologue you know um but i don't know who this book really is for (laughs) (laughs) yeah like i said unless you're into character studies or you're really interested in reading about someone with paraplegia then yeah i don't know i don't Um, know and like can we fix it does it need to be fixed i don't think it necessarily needs uh, to be fixed i mean i would definitely definitely strike that coffee colored man line please yes small Um, edit really (laughs) yeah but i mean there were and there were like a handful of missing words but that's pretty minor. I mean, I don't. Yeah, it's like it's a plot weird situation. wise or like construction wise. Yeah, no, no, it's fine. I mean, yeah, it's a weird situation. It's just one of those situations where this book isn't aggressively terrible. It's just not for us at all. Yeah, it, we are we are just not. We are no no. Per, neither of us are people who would want to read this book. Um, and so it, it's just a matter of. It, it's really a matter of the, the like the the subject matter. Yeah. The writing itself was good, um, and that's part of the conceit of this show, right? Is like picking yeah. out books that normally we would like never give a second thought to. If if I wasn't doing the show and I saw that title on a shelf, I wouldn't even pull it out to read the back of it. Oh yeah, no way. I would just scroll. I'd go right by it. I'd scroll right by it. Yeah. Or pay or tab. You know, I'd move, walk right by it. Whatever. I wouldn't give that a second. thought. I'd chuckle at the title a bit, be like Haha, monkey, and then like walk away. <laughs> Yeah, I would not consider this book at all. Um, but, you know, and that's the whole point of the show. So, yeah, I think so. If you're looking for a character study or for some reason, maybe you know, maybe you are a person who's dealing with being a first time wheelchair, like maybe you're a first time wheelchair user or something or, you're, you know, dealing with paraplegia. Paras- maybe is this there would be... second time wheelchair users? Yeah. I mean, if you like they get better and then they need it again. Yeah, like what if you have like hip surgery and then you have to oh. have other other hip surgery oh, or right. knee or like like a long term uh, injury? Obviously, this is like a a life term <laughs> injury, yeah. but um, 
you know, Sorry, I, I, I don't know. I just need to be reminded about that, I guess. That's <laughs> fine. I mean, again, I, I kind of hate, I kind of hate talking about things like this because I'm not those people, you know, I'm pretty averagely abled. So it's, uh, I don't know. I just always kind of feel gross because I'm like, oh, I'm a regular person trying to talk about things that I have nothing to be talking. I have no place to be talking about. But we read a book with the subject matter, so I got to talk about it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If you're into character studies and you can handle the depression, I guess. I, I don't know. If any of this <laughs> sounded interesting to you, I guess check it out. Um, but I am not going to. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you to pick it up. Yeah. That's generally this, how we we both came down on this book. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't know if if um that's, there's anything else we want to no, talk about. Otherwise, we just have it for some. Me. Yeah, we just got the the house cleaning. Stuff. I don't think this is a long episode, so let's not do good media on this one. Let's save that for a shorter episode. Oh later fuck! On. Wow, this episode was really long. All right, I'll try to wrap this up quickly then. Yeah. Um. So just wanted to um, just a couple of little little shout outs. So uh, <laughs> someone named uh, Jonas sent us links to some old weird footage of Bruce Dickinson cosplaying as Lord Iffy Boat Race <laughs> on oh. Boatress uh, or whatever on Hell's Headbangers in the 90s. Hell's Headbangers was like this heavy metal show in the 90s um, that was really important for anyone who was a kid um, and into heavy metal or or just who was around. I guess not kids. That, that was a weird way to say that. I'm saying that because I was a kid in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I was... Uh, um, I don't yeah. think any Lord Iffy Boat Risk content is for children. No. Uh, but yeah, him cosplaying as that was pretty hilarious. So thanks, Jonas. Uh, really appreciate you checking us out and sending us that. That definitely brightened my day at work. That was cool. Um, and thank you to whoever wrote a really nice review for us this past week on German iTunes. Um, it was just a really nice review. I'm going to go ahead and read it. And then we're going <laughs> to... And then we're going to read a one-star review we got the week prior. Because nice. that's also funny. Yeah. So... So, uh, iTunes user, uh, Lapap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cute sounding. I don't know what that is. Um, the title is Always Thoughtful, Often Hilarious. Chris and Paris review books, and it feels like you're listening to friends shredding bad art into pieces. They don't censor their language, which lends authenticity to the whole premise. However, if a book ends up surprising them positively, they'll tell you. So it's not just mindless trolling. I actually ended up buying and reading a book they discussed favorably and really liked it. Oh, I wonder oh. which one. I know. I'm so curious. I don't know how to contact you. So person who wrote that review, if you're listening, please let us know what book you bought because I'm really interested to know. And thank you so very much for the five-star lovely review. It really uh, buoyed our spirits after reading uh, this other review we got (laughs) um, last week. So you may have seen this if you follow us on social media because I made this review our like background photo on Twitter and Facebook (laughs) because I thought it was so funny. It's quality stuff, actually. Oh, sorry. I made Sorry. Just on Facebook. I did, I guess. Um but it's uh yeah it's real good um let me see where is our page because facebook uh, operates at the pace of snail uh so this one star review from actually i guess it was like three weeks ago one star from n overton not ever entertaining to me mostly hating on a story only could listen to two most seems like that have no concept of imagination or belief that a story can be something what is not normal in today world. At times, they are loud and wrong! <laughs> Exclamation point. I mean, that what that last sentence is not incorrect. We are at I times... I love that last sentence. Uh, we, are, we are at times loud and wrong. Um, 
Which is why we did a two-episode retrospective on all the times we were wrong last year. Yeah. <laughs> so, or the year before, I forget. So, um... I just that should I want that to be our tagline now. Terrible book club, loud and wrong. <laughs> At times, loud and wrong. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, gotta love those one star reviews. Gonna be on a shirt or something. Pretty great. Uh, so rad. Um, oh yeah, one other note. Uh, just just to note, I've I've been I've been continuing to do um, a guest spot on. Rolling Misadventures, which is an improv comedy podcast where we take the improv comedy that we do and then the um, the host, the main host, uh, the creator, Derek, he turns all of that into an audio drama. So he turns our improv comedy based on prompts um, of a role playing game called Fiasco and adds sound effects and kind of like makes it flow a little better. And it's just a it's it's ridiculous. It's not something I ever thought I'd do because improv is hard. Um but the most recent storyline was really good, I think. It spans two episodes, uh, and it's like an Event Horizon story where I played a uh, ship's AI in an android body. And uh, yeah, that was an experience. So if Really that's... pulling from our Dark Matter watching oh. experience together. <laughs> Chris, you're going to tell people that we do that? <laughs> I feel like you're telling them about a, dr- a seedy drug we do. <laughs> Listen, we're going to release the Verotica watch pretty soon, too. Uh, so it gets bad enough. Yeah, okay. So If you would so... like to watch softcore porn with the terrible book club. Oh, Jesus Christ. So, um, yeah. Uh, so, two things. One... When I am feeling down or just want some friend time with Chris, we've we've decided that we watch this show Dark Matter together on Netflix. It's fucking terrible. Do not watch it. Please don't. I don't just don't touch it. We're not recording it for the Patreon because it's just nice to have something that's not being edited and recorded and we can <laughs> just be friends together. Yeah. And so sometimes we just get on a call and we watch the show together. and It's fucking hilariously bad. Uh, and we've one of the main characters. So many is names. Yeah, one of the one of the um, main characters is the ship's AI in an android body. So like that was that was sort of what I was basing it on. But uh, most people said I sounded like Space Janet, like um, Janet from uh, the Good Place. The Good Place, yeah. So I don't know. It was fun. I mean, I'm not I'm not great at this or anything. I'm not telling you it's great, but like if you're into that kind of stuff, maybe check it out. Um, I feel like I had another note, but I didn't. Maybe it might oh Veronica. Veronica. Yeah. yeah. So. If you're a patron at the five dollar or more, it's a fantastic segue level. for our Patreon stuff. Yeah, if you if you are a five dollar or higher level patron um, of Terra Book Club, you will have the unfortunate experience <laughs> of receiving the audio track to Chris and I watching Glenn Danzig's movie Veronica. Movie, which is quote, uh, scare quote. dude, we ba- like Chris just said, we basically watched softcore porn together, and it was awkward as fuck. <laughs> Maybe it's I don't know. Maybe it's not quite that bad. Maybe it is. I don't know. It's it's real bad. It's it was rough. Fucking if you terrible. Th- like, listen, man. If you think, oh, I've watched bad movies. I've watched The Room. I've seen Birdemic, buddy. You're not ready for how <laughs> just mind-numbingly shit this is. It's three short films, I guess you could say, about a half an hour each. The first yeah. one kind of has a plot. The second Dude. one. <laughs> eschews any kind of plot whatsoever for the bare minimum of it and the third one has nothing to chew on whatsoever dude that first one was great though that was my favorite <laughs> i wish it was just that first one oh, it would have been, been yeah it would have been actually been something entertaining <laughs> to release 
Yeah, the first one, I'm like, it, we're almost immediately crying from laughter with the first one. So, like, if you can't get through all of it, at least get through that first story. The Honestly, the other two you can just skip. It's not that funny. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Um, ugh. Yeah. So if you're if you're a higher level patron, you'll be getting that soon. Uh, speaking of which, thanks to our current Patreon supporters. Thank you to Dari, Greg, Will, Veronica, D, Jared, Lynn, Sinya, Jakob, Bobby Blackcat, Jensina, Mayo Cat, Elliot, Kieran, and Martin. I feel like I'm forgetting someone. Sorry if I no, forgot I you. I think that's all of them. I think that's everyone. Okay. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm just being paranoid. If I did forget someone, we can cut it in later. It's fine. Um, because it's not like this is coming out tomorrow it's coming yeah. out next week so um you know so if you two want to join the glorious ranks of tbc patrons you can do that by donating one dollar five dollars or ten dollars a month to the show um you get various rewards like having your name read um at the end of the show or beginning of the show whenever we decide to do it and getting access to a bunch of content including uh videos and uh tracks of us watching things like mystery science theater you can subscribe and follow us on various social media outlets. You can share the show and tell someone about it. Um, and you can give us a nice review like that wonderful German person. Thank you. Um, and you can always contact us on uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Goodreads, or via email at uh, terriblebookclub at gmail.com. Yeah, uh, one other thing you can do as a patron is request a copy of one of the books that we've read. Because, boy, are they piling up, y'all. I don't know why you would necessarily want a copy of one of the terrible books. Maybe you can have us, if you want us to write a nice note in it for you or something like that. We'll probably do that when we send it out. But I don't know. We have to figure out something to do with these books because they're taking up shelf space. I, I need, we need oh, to figure Chris, something yeah. out. So Chris is really concerned about all these books taking up space. I'm I'm happy to house them, but <laughs> it would be nice if some of the $10 patrons would pick some books to have shipped out. It'd be it'd be fun uh, to send some of those out. So anyway, uh, I think that's it for this week's episode. Yep. <sighs> yeah. All right. We'll catch you next time for um, a patron's choice. Actually, I think the next three are patron's choices, technically. Oh, yeah, we are. Oh, we're getting slammed by patron choices. That's right. Thank you the for slamming three. us. Yeah. Th- Slam us harder. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Um, yeah, so next, do we want to just do you want to just tell them that next week we're reading uh, Senia's choice? Yes. Yeah. Senia, your so. choice is up next on <laughs> Terrible Book Club. <laughs> and then the month after that, I'm sure many of you will enjoy it. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, the month after that is brought to you by several patrons simultaneously <laughs> requesting the same book. Yeah, so... so. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there you go. We'll, uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Uh, please um, stay well out there. All right. Bye, Paris. Bye, Chris.